Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me welcome back a couple of people. Connie Nielsen, who decided to play bumper cars with her car, is back with us. We're so glad, Connie, you're back. Bless. And of course, Meredith is back with us today. Meredith, welcome. God is continuing to heal both of these, and we are so, so very grateful for what God is doing um, in our midst. Also, before I proceed with uh, sharing the Word of God with us this morning on this Easter, I want to pray for a couple of people who are going to be leaving town to go on mission trips. Uh, Dan Stafford leaves for Moldova on Thursday, so Dan, if you would stand up. And Nate and Cheryl Ross are leaving for Kenya on Wednesday. I know we've all read the news about Kenya. It's on the other side of the country from where they'll be going. But nonetheless, we're going to pray for safety for all of our friends and our family. And remember, whenever someone from fullness goes out on a mission trip, we all go. Amen? We're all there with them. They are representing Christ, but they're also a part of this family. So pray for them every day. The Rosses will be gone Wednesday for 10 days, right? And Dan, you'll be gone Thursday for how long? couple weeks. So pray for them every single day as they're gone because you're praying for yourself. You understand? You're praying for us. All right, let's pray for them. Some people around them wouldn't mind just kind of gathering around and laying hands on them while I pray for them. I'd appreciate it. Lord God, we thank you that we serve a risen, all-powerful Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to represent you, represent you wherever we go, whether it's in our schools, our homes, our workplaces, wherever it might be. But specifically today, God, we pray for these three who are going out to share the good news of Jesus Christ. For Dan, as he'll be ministering in Moldova and working with business leaders and church leaders to uh, help in a way that magnifies and spreads the kingdom of God in the realm of business. Lord, we pray your blessings on Dan. For Nate and Cheryl, as they'll be going to Tenwick Hospital, that, Lord God, you would bless them and keep them safe as they minister, if they give a cup of water, as they help heal in the name of Christ. May the love of Christ be expanded throughout the globe. Keep them safe physically, spiritually, emotionally. God be with them. We love them, Lord. We know you love them more than we can even imagine. So bless them as they go. Anoint them for this specific time. In Jesus' name, amen. We serve a risen king. So one of the remarkable truths about our Christian faith is that we don't serve one who just came and taught and did good things and then died and left us with some sort of code to live by. But in fact, we worship, we serve, we honor one who is alive. Are you with me? I mean, this is great news. And if you do not believe in the risen Christ, then in fact, your Christianity is not really Christianity. It's not really faith. It's not really a part of the family of God. It is of first importance, which means it's primary. It's number one. 
If you don't get number one, you can't get to number two, to number three, to number four, to number five of Christian tenets, so to speak. The first primary important truth of the Christian faith is that Christ is risen from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is the gospel I preached to you which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." It's a primary importance. Paul is writing at a time, by the way, that is not thousands of years, but merely decades separated from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom, this is critical for Paul's argument here, most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. By the way, that's a euphemism for dead. Uh, Some have died, but most are still living. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul Paul is contending for the resurrection of Christ at a time where there were still people alive who you could go and talk to who saw him, who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Many people over the centuries have challenged whether Christ actually died, was buried, and of course was resurrected. Paul is saying, hey, there's still some people around if you want to go talk to them. They were there when it all happened. There are witnesses. The resurrection is a reality for everyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Because as a result of it, we can be, as the Bible says, saved. We can be released from our sin and in relationship with the God who created us. I believe that the the message of Easter, of this Resurrection Sunday, really of every Sunday, but especially as we look at the resurrection today, the message of Easter is one of change, one of change. We can be changed from those who were dead in our trespasses and sins to those who are alive in Christ. We can be changed from what we were to what God wants us to be. Jesus Christ was changed. He was changed from being dead and in his mortal body to being the resurrected Christ. We don't understand all the change that happened to him, but it was a remarkable change. Religion comes to just kind of add on to you and try to make the you you are a better person. But Christianity, our faith, is a faith that says, no, I want you to be changed from the inside out. I want a totally new you. I'm not coming to add on to the almost pretty good you that you think you are. I'm coming to change you from the inside out. Jesus says in Luke 532, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. He's basically saying, I'm coming for the 
non-religious people. Because the religious people already got it all figured out, so they think. I'm coming for the outsiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Here's a question I have for you this morning. What do you want to change about yourself? If you could just write down on your notes and your bulletin a couple of things you would say, I'd like to change these things about me. Do you know change is really, really, really hard? I mean, it's hard to change yourself, is it not? I mean, because most of us, though we want to change, we don't want to change hard enough to do something about it. We'd rather, we want, we have this envisionment for I would like to lose so much weight or I'd like to get in better shape or I'd like to do better with my finances or I'd like to do, quit this habit or I'd like to do in relationships. But we recognize that change takes work. Isaac Newton's first law of motion says that every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Body in rest tends to stay at rest, as we know. A body on the couch tends to stay on the couch, unless something impresses on it to move. We're like that. We need something to get us out of this law of inertia that many of us are stuck in. I would contend this morning that the power of the risen Christ is at work within you if you'll tap into it. The power to change, the power to move you, the power to compel you to move forward will get you out of the rut that you are, that you're in. This is great news, by the way, isn't it? Isn't it great news to say, I don't have to be stuck like this for the rest of my life? Something can change with him. Do you really believe that God can change you? I read this story. I, I don't even know if it's really true, but it's a great story, so I'm going to tell it nonetheless. Um, railroad tracks are four feet, eight and one half inches apart. Seems like an odd number, doesn't it? Four feet. Thanks for agreeing with me back there. I don't know if that's Derek, but keep it up, Derek. It makes me feel good. Four feet, eight and one-half inches. Why such an odd number? Well, the story goes that it's because when the railroads in America were built, British expatriates came over, because they already had rails, came over to build our railways and established the first width between the rails of four feet, eight and one-half inches. Now, why did they do it? They did it because that was the standard gauge of what people built wagons by. The wagon wheels in Great Britain were built four feet, eight and one half inches apart. Why were wagon wheels set on a gauge of four feet, eight and one half inches? Because with any other size, the wheels that did not match the ruts in the road were tended to break. How did the ruts get in the road? Well, the story goes that the ruts were first established by the Romans who rode chariots And their war chariots were like that so that they could accommodate the width of the rear end of two war horses. I I could go on with the analogy. Um, Don't know if it's true, but it just shows you how stuck we are at times and we just move 
forward with things that don't really make any sense. We are creatures of habit, not creatures who normally and naturally want to see change in their life. Most of us, however, would love to see the person we're married to change. Or the people we're in a relationship change. Or our children change. We don't want to change ourselves. We'd rather see the people around us change because it would make our life so much easier. Tolstoy recognized this, and he says this, everybody thinks of changing humanity, and nobody thinks of changing himself. Are you what you should be? How do you change? How do we move forward so that those things you put down on your list can be changed within you? Is your heart even really open to change at the highest level? Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest who works with gang members in East Los Angeles. Father Boyle has worked with uh, gang members, and I love the name of his ministry. It's called Homeboy Industries. That's the name of his ministry, Homeboy Industries. And he's ministered to the gangs in Los Angeles for over 25 years. One of the Uh, key components to his ministry, which you wouldn't naturally think of, is this, tattoo removal. Tattoo removal. Evidently, when gang members become a part of the gang, they are tattooed on their back with the emblem of the gang, symbolizing that you are now a lifelong member of the gang. We own you. You are a part of this gang. And Father Boyle has put together doctors and specialists who come in and the the whole concept of part of his ministry is to re-identify, to say, no, these gangs no longer have a hold on you. And they go through the painful and time-consuming process of having these tattoos removed. He's got a book, by the way, it's called Tattoos on the Heart. Tattoos on the heart that God is the one who ultimately changes us and puts his stamp on each and every one of us. God wants you to know this morning what he's done for you. God wants to know not only what he's done for you, but that you can be changed. Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 18 says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want to start here because some of us need the scales to drop off of our eyes to see that we indeed can be changed, that your eyes can be opened to see who you are and what Christ is. It is so fun to sing the songs, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over Come awake. Come awake. Let your eyes, when you're asleep, your eyes are closed. When you're awake, your eyes are opened. Paul begins by saying, let your eyes be opened to see who you are and what he's done for you. How are you going to change? How is the power of the resurrection at work in your life to see you changed? 
I want to give you four statements about this that I hope will see you and help us each change. The first is this. Open your heart to God's hope. Open your hearts to God's hope. I'm I'm basing this on this passage from Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 21. And I'm just going to walk through the passage this morning as we look at the resurrection of Christ. Verse 18, Ephesians 1 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. We live in an age where hope is such a common word, but is so absent from many people's lives. It's needed so greatly. Listen, if you live in in perfect comfort and perfect light and no problems and no issues, then you don't really need hope. Why? Because everything's good. When do you need hope? You need hope in the darkness. You need hope when there's no light. You need hope when you feel hopeless. You need hope where things are struggling. Charles Spurgeon said that it is hope that God gives us. He says, faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the windows which hope has opened. God provides us with hope. And this hope is not like a worldly hope that it's just kind of ethereal, like I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or, I hope it's going to be nice tonight, or I hope all my family gets along at lunch today, or I hope something along those lines. That's wishful thinking. This hope has substance. Paul's praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This hope is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't really have hope. We don't have life. We don't have a future. Everything we're doing is just kind of wishing. Everything we're doing in church without the resurrection of Christ is just really a wasteful experience. Everything we're doing here today, every day, is based on the resurrection of Christ. The Christian's hope has substance. And Graham Lott says, If God can bring blessing from the broken body of Jesus and glory from something that's as obscene as the cross, he can bring blessing from my problems and my pain and my unanswered prayer, I just have to trust him. Trust. Hope built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just a hope now, it's a hope for all time. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We have hope not just about heaven and the new heaven and the new earth and the future. We have hope for now that we can be changed by him. Open your heart to God's hope. Second, open your heart to God's power. Our hope is built on his power, his ability to do. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The power of God is demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. And I'll look up here. If you tune out for just a second, just look at me for a second and think about this. Paul chooses 
to use the resurrection of Christ as the greatest demonstration of the power of God. Why? I mean, if I think back, I think the creation is a pretty good demonstration of the power of God. Nothing. There was nothing. We can't even imagine nothing. But there was nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Wow, I I think that's a pretty good demonstration of the power of God. But Paul, and and you can think of all of the things throughout the Bible that are demonstrations, crossing of the Red Sea, feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus did, um, uh, Elijah calling down fire from heaven. I mean, go on and on and on through the Bible, the miracles that God did. But the greatest demonstration of the power of God is when he raised Jesus from the dead. Not only that, but seated him at the right hand of God the Father. It is the raising of Christ and his place in heaven that we can relate to. Because he says, because of this, you have the power of God at work within you. You have hope that's built on the power of God, which is demonstrated by the resurrection. This power is so remarkable that you can be transformed. That's how great this power is. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Hello? You think. Changing the way you think. God's power is so great that he can actually change the way we think. Because what we think determines where we go, what we do, what we how we carry ourselves, what habits we're a part of. God can change the way we think. Here's the problem. Many of us don't really, really, really believe in the power of God. You may say, wait a minute, Pastor Bart, I I believe in the power of God. Well, the reason I know that many people don't believe in the power of God is because I've heard statements like this. This situation will never change. My spouse will never change. I can never break this habit. I will always be like this. When we make confessions like that, we're making confessions that say, my problem is greater than the power of God. If indeed, God's greatest demonstration of power is that he, in fact, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He can change your problem. He can change your spouse. He can change and break habits and freedom off of you. Fill in this blank. I don't think I'll ever be able to... What? I don't think I'll ever be able to get married, forget, be healed, be happy, be at peace with my spouse, have a restored relationship with my parents or children. I want to encourage you this morning to give yourself to the power of God. Really give yourself to the power of God, which can change you.
You have this power at work within you. Here's the deal. You already have the power within you if you'll but appropriate it. Years ago, there was a Tournament of Roses parade, and the whole parade had to stop because one of the floats ran out of gas. Beautiful float, ran out of gas. They had to stop the whole parade until somebody went and got a can of gas and brought it to fill up the, to start the float. The, the amazing thing or the irony is that the float was sponsored by the Standard Oil Company, <laughs> which at the time was a major, it'd be like Chevron float losing gas. Listen, you, you have been clothed with power from on high. This is an act of faith to receive this power of God. I've been clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? It means you have the power to change. God's transformational power is at work within you. He can change you. His power is available to those of us who believe. Third is open your heart to the grace of God's forgiveness. Open your heart to the grace of God's forgiveness. Going on in Ephesians 2, skipping ahead a little bit in Ephesians, I'm going to pick out some other passages. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God's powers at work within you. He, he's made you alive. You were dead. How many dead things can make themselves alive again? Well, the answer to that's none. None. In case you're wondering, struggling, trying to flip through the files of your head, saying, let me think of some things. None. But God has made you alive. Why? Because you were such a wonderful you? Because God really needed you to add to? No, because he loves you so much. By his grace, that unmerited favor, that Nothing I deserve, nothing I did to earn it, God gave it to you. He's made you alive in Christ. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? Who's the only ones that God won't give grace to? I don't need it. The non-humble. The ones who say, I don't need the grace of God. I don't need to change. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's an incredible trade we get here. I mean, think about it. In Isaiah 61, 3, he says, to bestow on them, that's us. He's predicting Isaiah is prophesying about the future when Christ comes. He says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I mean, this is the picture. We come to God with what? Ashes. What are ashes good for? As far as I know, not much. We come with ashes, and what does God give us? A crown of beauty. Holy cow, what a, what a great trade. I mean, would you not take that trade every moment of every day, if you thought about it? I can take my junk to, to wherever... And somebody gives me something incredibly valuable. That's what God's grace is a picture of. It's a picture of his grace. I bring my ashes, I get a crown. And a garment, and instead of mourning, what do I get? Garment of praise, 
instead of a spirit of despair. Instead, I bring my ashes and mourning. I get a crown. I bring my despair. I get a garment of praise. What of value do I bring? The answer would be nothing. I just come. That's a picture of grace and forgiveness. I need to open myself up to receive this great trade. It's in such a way that sin's no longer my master. I no longer have to be locked into slavery because I am free by God's grace. At some point, you should just like want to shout hallelujah. I am freed by God's grace. How free are you? By God's grace, you're totally free. How free do you live? That could be a different question. Why? Because many of us are still locked into our works, human effort mentality and not receiving the grace of God. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of Christ and our sins are forgiven. For many of us, I know this is the third point in the sermon, but for many of us, this is the starting point. I mean, we need hope and we understand the power of God, but for many, we really need to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. We can't We can't receive forgiveness from God because we don't even forgive ourselves. We know the stuff we've done. We know the junk we've been involved in. And we keep beating ourselves up about it. The enemy keeps trampling on us about it. We don't receive from him. We need the forgiveness, the restoration that comes through God's power. There's a story about uh, Thomas Edison And, you know, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb um, initially. And the first light bulb that Edison created took a team of men 24 hours of continual work to build. It's a very precious thing, this original light bulb. And Edison handed it off to a young assistant to take up the stairs to try it out. The young man's walking up the stairs... And as you can imagine, trips and drops the bulb. 24 hours of continual work, probably the greatest creation of humankind at that moment. Electric lights, light in darkness. The guys go back to the drawing board. 24 hours later, they produce another light bulb. What do you think Edison does? He gives it to the exact same guy to carry up the stairs again. It's a picture of forgiveness. We think, I've screwed up. God will never use me again. God's better than Edison. Hello? I mean, he loves you so much more. He sent his own son to die for you. How much does God love you? Church, it is time for us to to receive the grace and forgiveness that really comes from knowing Christ. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we're still dead in our sins, and our faith is useless. But because of God's resurrection of Christ, we are forgiven by his grace. Fourth point, open your heart to God's love. It says in Ephesians 1, 4, long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We need to receive the love of Christ. Paul, in a later passage, the book of Ephesians, by the way, is full of books uh, of prayers for the church. 
This first one I was doing from Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and it's incomparably great power to those of us who believe. Later on, he's going to pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. We're back to that power thing. Power through his spirit. How do we receive the power of God? Resurrection of Christ, but the indwelling power of the spirit who is in us in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? In love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And he goes on to say, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. The power of God, the power of love that indwells you. Do you know how much, much, much God loves you? Ephesians 5, Paul goes on and says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The demonstration of God's love for us, the cross. That Christ died for you. He died for your sins. Are you open? Are you open to receive the love of God? God's love comes and indwells us and infills us. There's a story about a a grandfather who uh, was at his daughter's house and he had a little grandson He went into the family room where the grandson was in a playpen. That's the early version of a pack and play. Um, They had playpens back then that were more established. And so the little boy was in his playpen and he was just crying. And the grandfather walks in and the the little boy reaches out with his arms crying and says, Papa, Papa, get me out. But Papa, granddad, does what any granddad would do. Goes to get him. At about that moment, law and order walks in, in the form of the mother, who says, Dad, leave him there. He's being disciplined. He can get out when I say he can get out. Well, now the grandpa is in a bad state. He's got this little grandson crying, but he knows he has to enforce the rules of the house. He doesn't know what to do. He can't just sit down and read the paper and ignore his crying son, nor can he not do what the mom says. So he does the only thing any good grandfather could do. He climbs in the playpen with him. (laughs) Suddenly the little boy stops crying. The discipline is not near as harsh as it seemed at the time. Someone's there with him. What compelled a granddad to crawl into a playpen? love. What compelled Christ to leave the throne room of heaven and come to this earth? It was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we who believe could have everlasting life. He went to the cross and died for us and has been raised from the dead as proof of who he said he was. 
It's true. He is the Son of God. Here's the proof. He's risen from the dead. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want to pray today that we would understand that our failure is not the final word on us. That our habits are not something we have to be locked into for the rest of our lives. That our sin won't forever separate us from God. That no matter what you think your problem is or what you may think is some behavior that you don't want to be engaged in, God's power is greater. No matter what sickness you may be incurring right now, that God's power to heal, either now or in the future, is ultimate. We will all be restored. Do you really want to change today? Do you really want to change? then I want to encourage you to open your heart to the hope of God. Open your heart to his power to change you. Open your heart to his grace and forgiveness. Open your heart to his love. Ultimately, open your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this day, Easter, is not an ending. It's not the end of the story. It's really but just the beginning. It's a day of incredible, remarkable change where Christ, who was dead, became alive again. So that we who were dead in our sins, the things we did wrong, can be made alive. Lord, this morning I want to pray for, first of all, those who may be here today who have never really seen Christ in this light. They've heard the stories about Jesus. Maybe they know about Jesus. Maybe they know he was a great teacher and some bad men killed him and his teachings are worth following because they add value. I pray today for those who have never received Jesus as the one who truly forgives their sins and is the master of their life. I pray, God, that they would be changed from the inside out knowing that they have nothing of value to bring, that they just bring themselves and say, here I am. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive you as the one who leads my life. I pray for the greatest transformation they'll ever experience to occur right now. The move from dead in sins to alive in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are already followers of Jesus Christ but are struggling with, with change. We know some things that we want to see change in our lives. We, we have habits, ways of thinking, uh, health issues, uh, bondages that we need free from, decisions that are weighing us down. Oh God, I pray today that we would know that your hope, your power, your grace, your love is here for each and every one of us to change us. May we receive. Just for a second, before I move forward, we're going to take up an offering in a minute, but before you even do anything about that, just ask God, on your list earlier, about things you'd like to see change in your life, 
maybe in your mind or you actually wrote it down, just give it to God right now. Take a second to give to Him. And on this Easter Sunday, 2015, receive the power of God to set you free, to see you change. may not feel any different. You may feel incredibly different. But in faith, receive and just say to him, thank you. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that your power is here. Your arm, so to speak, is not too short nor too weak, but you are mighty to save. You are mighty to deliver. You are mighty to set free. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't